Welcome to LTN Rewind, where we revisit a classic episode from one of the podcasts in the Love Thy Nerd podcast network. Today we're flashing back to episode 107 of Humans of Gaming, an episode that aired first on May 3rd, 2018. It's hosted by Chris Gwaltney and Drew Dixon. Every episode they invite a special guest on to talk about life, games, and belief. And in this episode, they're talking to Jason Rohrer, developer behind games such as Transcend, Diamond Trust of London, and One Hour, One Life. Drew and Chris will talk to Jason about his thoughts on the role of death in the role of civilization's laws, moral designs in his own games, and the nature of having kids with only one name. Without further ado, let's turn back the clock. This is the Humans of Gaming podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Hey, you're listening to Humans of Gaming. I'm joined with my co-host, Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. What's up? Hi, Drew. How are you? Hey. <laughs> you having a good day? Uh, much better now that all the gardeners are gone and I don't have to mute and unmute my mic constantly. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and then our special guest is Jason Rohrer. So how you been, man? I have been good. I'm uh, still cranking away on One Hour, One Life. Yeah. Yeah. And um, has that, like, it's... You can play it now, right? It's uh, it's launched or uh yeah, yeah, so it's been out for okay. about 5 weeks so. now. I thought so, yeah. Yeah, and uh people have been buying it and playing it and the response has been kind of crazy, so it's been really hard as a solo developer to to keep up with everything. Uh, yeah, crazy I good s- or crazy bad or both. <laughs> I just yeah, uh, crazy in volume and enthusiasm, I guess. Uh so uh it's definitely my most popular game in my career um and and just you know things have changed a lot in the the way that communities interact with games over the years mm-hmm. and now there's you know discord for example um where there's like sort of 24 7 real-time interaction in the community where before it was just kind of asynchronous interaction through forums and stuff and yeah. so you know, whenever I go on discord, I've missed hundreds and hundreds of messages. Right. It's like, uh, <laughs> and, and it's going on all night and all day people all around the world at different time zones. And, um, and yeah, so it's really hard to keep up with everything. All the questions that people are asking or all the issues that they're having or all the ideas that they're submitting, you know, people are coming up with all sorts of ideas for the game as well. And, um, and I'm also trying to actually work, you know, like on the game, not just spend <laughs> yeah. all my time reading, you know, user feedback and other players' ideas and stuff, right? Um, yeah, because I saw like one of your ideas with the game is to constantly be adding like weekly content. Is that right? Yeah, yeah and I have been doing that uh, pretty consistently for the past five weeks. Um, the game is very different, and you know, there's a lot of new kind of crazy features and stuff in it since it launched. Um, the, yeah. uh, new ideas or, you know, I mean, there weren't even things I had planned before launch. I, you know, I'm kind of doing this by the, uh, by my, the seat of my pants, right? Just like every week I'm like, Hmm, what should I add now? You know, given where players are at and what think people are doing in the, in the world. Um, and you know, some of them are things that I hadn't even 
dreamed of before, right? Like uh, a, a player started, uh, you know, it's a game where you you have uh, other players as your own baby, right? Um, so when whenever right. you join, whenever yeah. you join, like a dream I had once. <laughs> whenever you join the game, uh, uh, you're you're born as a baby to some other player who's already in the world trying to survive, right? And and the only way that you can survive through infancy is if they they sacrifice some of their resources and their time to take care of you until you get old enough to take care of yourself. So that's like the the that's what spawning is in the game, right? Like every time you die and you need to respawn, you're a baby again, and somebody else, somebody random person is your parent. Um, oh, now I didn't really know exactly how players would you know react to that or what they would do or how they would treat their babies or whatever, but pretty quickly on within the first week there was a sort of culture of like naming naming your baby right like <laughs> just saying you are toby or you are sally or what you know whatever and um and uh and the, i saw all these player stories about my i was born to this mother and she named me this and i lived out my life as this you know that people were posting online and so uh, you know i kind of pivoted on that idea and built in support in the so when you say you are toby to to a baby when you're holding it um, then that actually becomes their name for the rest of their life. Oh, that's the, the awesome. Other, other players oh, can that's see cool. what um, And then uh, the, there's a, what the, of course, with this kind of system, there's a chicken and egg question, right? Like if, if everyone's born as a baby to, to some other player, how does the whole thing get started or what happens when everyone dies off? The answer to that question is Eve, right? So Eve is the first player to join in the server or the first player to respawn after everyone dies out. Um, and she's sort of the great, great, great grandmother of the whole family tree for the rest of the game. She gets to pick the last name. She doesn't get to pick a first name because her first name is always Eve. She gets to pick the last name for the rest of the family line, right? Going forward out wow. of her. So, so that's the other kind of twist is like, you There's know, some, uh, deep existential questions yeah, there. Players <laughs> naming each other and stuff. Well, yeah. then, you know, and also really caring about their legacies and wondering about how long their family line lasted and all this kind of stuff. Like, okay, well, then we can do this really cool thing where you get to name your family line if you're Eve. That's about that's a benefit of being Eve. And then everyone else gets that last name after you and everyone else can name their babies with first names. Um, and then, you know, my, my initial concern with letting p- players have names of any kind long ago before the game launched was just, you know, I don't want names like, you know, Buckethead 53 and whatever, right? Because um, right. it's, it's it's sort of a uh, you know emer- it's immersion it's yeah it's mild but even if I filtered for all swear words they're still just <laughs> immersion breaking handles oh, yeah. and tags and whatever so what I'm actually doing is I'm, I'm I'm filtering the names I'm finding the closest matching real human name from a list from the Social Security Administration in the United States of baby names from 2016 <laughs> so like you can you can try and name your baby uh, you know penis or whatever I guess. yeah penis and it'll find the closest match <laughs> which might be penny right. <laughs> <laughs> you know so yeah, uh, the same for the last names it goes through uh uh social security database for last names as well wow. and so um and oh that that's actually the census database so there's two different databases that i pulled from to get these lists of actually it's sort of a white list as opposed to a black list right right uh but there's 60,000 first names on the list every baby name in 2016 that was used more than five times in the united states so it's a pretty comprehensive list kind of shocking yeah. Yeah. and then a hundred thousand last names i mean the list is just insane right that's um, crazy so my wife so uh, studied strange, right studied yeah. the i was just gonna say my wife studied the social security lists uh very carefully before we named any of our children because she was her name is jennifer and she was born in the 80s and she's just always been bummed by how many people born in the 80s were named jennifer <laughs> yeah i mean it is it was the most popular name for one year or something right my yeah. name's Chris, so you know, 
Yeah. There's that. <laughs> Jason's probably pretty. Is Jason there, was number probably. one in like, I was born in 77. I think Jason was number one in 75 or six or something for boys. Yeah. So, you know, it's like there's these trends. I don't know why my parents, my parents don't seem exactly like trend followers, you know, to me. I don't know. Why. <laughs> we, but we like that name all of a sudden, you know, it just happened right. to be yeah. everyone like that name all of a sudden. Well, back then, too, you didn't probably have the same access to those kind of like, you know, we can just get online and totally. type in popular names or whatever and boom. Yeah. But, I mean, we we uh, were really concerned about that as well because our, our, our kids don't have last names. Uh, as a strange little side story. Uh, so oh, they just, they just have first sure. names and, and they, um, cause my wife and I have different last names and we didn't want to hyphenate cause we feel like that's just puck- passing the buck to the next generation to make the decision. Right. Um, cause yeah. if two people with hyphenated names get married, are they going to have a quadruple hyphenation? You know, probably not. They're going to have to call at some point. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. anyway, so we just said, well, what's with this whole last name thing anyway? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so we needed unique names, like really unique. And so we actually ended up kind of making the names up. Um, uh, I thought maybe you were going to say it was because they were going to be like Brazilian soccer players because a lot of them just have one name. <laughs> well, or, you know, there's various musicians who adopted only right. one name, right? Like for yeah. Sting. Like Sting. He didn't like the name Slash. Gordon. He didn't like Sting. Sting's original name was Gordon Sumner, right? And, <laughs> and you know Alf's, Alf's original name was Gordon Shumway, right? So they, you know, they when you got a name like that, you got to you got to go with a, 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 a some kind of handle, right? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Uh, we, we used a Scrabble set and some other things to sort of help generate and I actually wrote a piece of software that generated all all these random baby names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. So Do you, um, is there like does it come up with some are they are they all pretty like okay, yeah, that that makes sense as a name or is there come up with some pretty goofy things? Well, I'm I mean, we, like, we were interested in one syllable names for a little while for, especially for our first child. And so then I was like, okay, let's generate all possible things that have consonant vowel consonant. You know, those are all pronounceable, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. You know, and just these little short names and you know, all of them are sounds you can say. I mean, if you just do random letters, it's just like garbly gook. You can't even pronounce. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Lord. There's only 3,000 something of those consonant vowel consonant names, so there's not that many. Um, but anyway, we, our first child's name was Mez, M E Z, which was the coolest one that we found on that list, essentially. Um, yeah. Uh, and, it, you know, it doesn't sound like another name. It doesn't sound like it's an abbreviation for some other name or short, you know, shorthand for some other name or nickname. And, uh, and it turns out in the, the, the database that I used for One Hour, One Life for the first names, Mez's name was not on there. <laughs> It's that hey. unique. It's not, there were less than five people named Mez in 2016 as babies. So wow. I actually, of course, I added his name to the list. <laughs> but I'm also getting a lot so, of requests like that from people. Like they want their own family name added when it's too rare to be on the list or whatever. I'm like, I can't handle all those requests. It's just right. too much. <laughs> so Jason, um, you have done a lot of games in the past. Um I'm trying to think of some that stand out in my mind. Uh, I think one one of the first games I remember hearing about that you designed is would be Passage, and then uh, you also did Sleep is Death and um, oh gosh, uh, Inside a Starfield Sky. That's Lots right. of really unique. I think. I think if I I was trying to think of how. I would describe you to our listeners because I think a lot of them will not have heard. We'll have some that will definitely have heard of your games, but then we'll have a lot that haven't because I think I get the sense like you don't necessarily design games to like, correct me if I'm wrong, but like for them to be 
you seem to want to ha- to communicate something with your game before you want to to it to be super popular or make a profit. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I mean that's sort of well. I don't. I am. I am trying to support my family with my work. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, um, I I don't think that those. So it, it's an interesting question, right? Because you sort of say, well, aren't you know, isn't making something unique or making something really interesting or thought provoking, you know, antithetical to making a profit? Look at the things that make a profit. They're all very derivative and kind of shallow. Uh, but that's not actually true. It's what what usually happens is somebody breaks the ice with some kind of crazy new thought provoking idea. And then everyone else kind of tries to pile on in a gold rush. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, and mine, Minecraft was very kind of deep and thought provoking when it first came out, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, in, in, in its wake, there's hundreds of games where you're digging around in a 3d terrain, <laughs> you know, and so, oh, right. so, so it's hard. Yeah. To, and that it seems like, Oh, well that's popular, but most of those games aren't really making money. Right. So it's hard. Like you can't differentiate yourself anyway, if you're just like, saying what's pop like you put stick lick lick your finger and stick it up in the breeze and say like oh i should make a like two years ago you would have been making um a, a league of legends clone or whatever right and then this year mm-hmm. you'd be making a player unknown battlegrounds clone right player unknowns battlegrounds clone right like a <laughs> Fortnite battle game. Dude, now they're doing better <laughs> yeah, yeah i know and yeah so some people do and they, they i mean i think Fortnite is probably uh, my as me as a player i think Fortnite is a much better game um yeah. and i've enjoyed it a lot more than player unknowns battlegrounds but um, you know, that to say, Oh, you know, Jason, why aren't you making a battle Royale game right now? <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a red, uh-huh. it's a red ocean strategy, right? <laughs> I'd be competing, <laughs> I'd be competing with every other battle Royale game. That's all piling on. Instead, yeah. I made this game that's like totally weird and totally different and thought provoking. And that's, it's, that's, it's uh marketing gimmick, right? In a way it's like, <laughs> there's never been a game like this before. I mean, any of the games I've ever made, there's never been a game like it before. Right. So mm-hmm. it's impossible to sort of say, I've already played a bunch of games like that. I don't need to play this one. If you're at all interested in the, in where video games are going or interesting things that are being done, none of the games I've made are sort of missable. Right. <laughs> now, if you're yeah, not interested yeah. in that and you're just sort of casual and you don't really care about, you know, interesting games, then yeah. Okay. I guess, um, uh, but I don't, yeah, I definitely don't think there's, there's not a sort of a formula for making something popular or something that will sell. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the only, the only true formula that I know is make something amazing <laughs> <laughs> and that's hard. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and also makes but amazing and unique, right. Usually. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, which I think fits the, the, I think certainly the unique fits everything that you've made and yeah not amazing that's that's the missing right? <laughs> no and I, I think you've I, I think you've certainly made some amazing games like sleep is death is one that produced a lot of really interesting like player interactions that um certainly stand out and and uh inside a star-filled sky is another one that the design behind that was really fascinating um, and honestly, one that I'm surprised haven't seen more designers like try to try to mimic in some way. Um, right, right. But I'm be curious. Star Sky is, is a game where every um, every every object that you encounter in the game world has a whole other game world inside of it, um, uh, recursively all the way down, sort of turtles all the way down, right? So every power up you encounter, there's a whole world inside the power up that you can go and explore. Every enemy you encounter, likewise, and you can manipulate the worlds inside these things to change the object from the inside out. Right. So you can change the way an enemy behaves or something by going down inside of its world and changing things around inside there. Uh, but every, every time you're yeah. down inside an enemy, you run into other enemies that uh, inside the enemy that also have worlds inside of them. 
So it's like this infinite tree, uh, you know, multi-variegated branching tree that goes kind of down in all directions from every every point in the game, right? Was this before or after Inception came out? Um, I think it kind of came out right around the same time. I think uh, right around the same time. Um, maybe I had even seen Inception around the time I was designing it. Um, I was also reading a book called G- G- Girdle Escherbach. <laughs> Uh, which is oh. about the nature of consciousness and and so on, and they talk a lot about strange loops and things in that book. Um, so uh, you know, I've grappled with the concept of infinity ever since I've been working, or or very large numbers that humans can't grapple with ever since I've been programming on computers, and right. it's always fascinated me, right? Like that we can a finite computer uh, with a very simple piece of programming code can can generate this effectively, as far as humans are concerned, an infinite amount of information out of a very simple little tiny algorithm. Um, Like where does that information come from? Like it's, Oh, it's a random generator, but it's not, it's not picking up random noise from the cosmos or anything. It's, it's a little mathematical algorithm. That's just very simple. If you look at it on paper, but it generates this endless supply of seemingly new information. Um, And, and that, you know, inside of Starfield sky, it's a tiny, tiny game. It's like two, uh, two megabytes or something. Yet it (laughs) contains, it generates more content than any game that's ever existed. Essentially. (laughs) Yeah, so it's uh, that's sort of always fascinated me. You know, like, oh, I mean, did, yeah, the, the, how, yeah. Uh, and it's finite still. The amount of information it can generate is finite. It's not actually infinite, but it's so big that it doesn't matter, right? And it right. feels infinite. Yeah. Is there something that is that what drives you then? Is just like creating something that nobody's created before, or is there? Do you feel like there's a uh, something that holds all your games together? Is something that you're striving for? Yeah, so I, I've been I've been actively, you know, throughout my career, um, trying to sort of figure, sort of crack the problem. <laughs> the problem being, uh-huh. you know, like oh, video games throughout my life as I got older and older, more than more and more of them became less and less interesting, and I sort of fell off the end. Like, or you know, the the net failed to catch me after, after a while. Once I got into like my late twenties. Whereas, like, you know, uh, I was still finding music that was interesting to me, still finding novels that were interesting to me, still finding movies that were interesting to me, still, you know, even seeing some games outside of video games that were interesting to me. And so the question of, and all my friends, likewise, who spent their lives growing up playing video games, they kind of grew out of them, right, as well. And it didn't seem like there was Mm -hmm. anything fundamental about the form that made it immature, you know, inherently immature, right? But then if you look at the games that were available to me when I was in my mid-20s, they were all pretty shallow in terms of what they were about or what they asked you well, to do. Well, let's be like, I'm trying to think about what, what, where you were in your twenties, what was popular then? Oh, I don't know. I'm just looking at my shelf. I mean, I, I've, I have a collection now of the ones I would say were the very best at the time, but Oh, I don't know. Even if you play something like half-life two, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of the best games of the time. It's groundbreaking. It's pretty amazing in a lot of ways, but it's like a really bad science fiction movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at best, right? I mean, it's like you would never, you know, go to see a movie that had that quality of acting, that quality of writing, that quality of storyline. I mean, it just wouldn't even be made, right? They, <laughs> yeah. um, and so, um, and even, you know, or like, you know, or Bioshock uh, in my late 20s, Bioshock was something that was sort of this, like, you know, uh, watermark, right? And, um, yeah. But even so, I mean, Bioshock was really great, really amazing, you know, in terms of how uh, uh, of its audacity and so on, the issues that it was tackling and everything. But, you know, only when compared to other video games. right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, the yeah. question of like, where is our, uh, you know, where is where where, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen films by P.T. Anderson, 
like yeah, uh-huh. like uh, the master, or, master, uh, or there will be blood, or something like that. Uh, yeah, or Boogie Nights, even going back in time, right? Or Magnolia, um, uh-huh. you know, like those kinds of films. Like where we don't have any video games that we could even remotely compare to something like that in terms of sophistication, in terms of subject matter, in terms of complexity, in terms of effect on the viewer, you know, emotionally and intellectually. Um, he's just one example of many filmmakers who, you know, are. And so, so trying to figure out how we do that, right? Like not how we make things that are like movies, but like how we do it in a u- unique way that's unique to games, right? Not just throwing a bunch of cutscenes in directed by P.T. Anderson, right? <laughs> sure. Right. And, and so like all my games are very non-narrative, non-linear. They don't feel like movies in any way. They all are very clearly interactive video game type things. Each one trying to push like that boundary a little further in terms of like, how do we do this? Like, how do we make more complex, meaningful um like deeper or subtle uh, things that kind of tackle issues that most people care about, right? More than like mm-hmm. bullet tra- like most you know most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about bullet trajectories um, or weapon reload times or whatever, right? Um, like how right. do we you know how do, do, we, do how, how do we make a game that's about that's literally about like legacy or family or something or family relationships or mm-hmm. really about betrayal in some way or really about vulnerability uh, or you know paranoia or you know um, man or human beings place in the universe or infinity or um, you know any of these kind of big big yeah. kinds of things that games kind of haven't really tackled. Um, and so each so of the games be... is like trying to find a new approach. Like I kind of like exhaust, like, mm-hmm. Oh, maybe like the approach I was taking in passage. If you go back to 2007 is, well, what if a game could be read like a poem, but you're not reading the words, you're reading the game mechanics, like, and looking for metaphors in the game mechanics, like metaphorical game mechanics in passage, mm-hmm. you walk around through a maze and there's like, you know, possible objectives down in the maze and what, what these objectives mean. And then you meet the spouse character and you hook up, with her and you kind of hook up as a life partner, but then you become twice as wide once you're walking with her and you can't fit down in the narrow passages of the maze anymore. Right. So it's pretty on the nose, right? Like once you team up with somebody as a life partner, you're not as, you know, you you have to compromise with them. You're not as flexible. You can't go everywhere. You could go as a single person and do everything you used to be able to do. Yeah. Um, But that's like, it's not written. It's not a poem. It's not, you know, exposition of any kind. It's like you interpret the game mechanics. Um, but that, that was like approach, an approach that I did for several games in a row, but then I kind of felt like it was kind of limited. It wasn't like the final answer. Like, we're not just going to continue making like interpretable game mechanics. That's our answer for how we're going to make games be meaningful. Right. Um, and so then I kind of jettisoned that idea and tried some other things and tried sleep is death and tried, you know, all the way up to what, where, what I'm doing right now with one hour, one life. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what is that? What are you trying to communicate with one hour, one life? Cause this is your new multiplayer game where you're taking care of where you're a baby and someone else has to take care of you. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I guess give us the pitch <laughs> for people who don't know what it is. Give us the pitch yeah, real quick. So, so I'd like to hear what you, yeah. So really, what you want to communicate. Yeah, so so yeah. really quick. Um, so one hour, one life is a, is a multiplayer game where everyone's on a server together there's an infinite world filled with wilderness on the server. It's a game that asks what would happen if we had to start over from scratch, right. And rebuild civilization together. Um, but every person in the, in the game world only lives an hour. Every minute that passes is a year of time. So, uh, when you join the game, you're born as a baby to some other player who's tasked with taking care of you if they want to or not. Um, and they have to do, <laughs> they have to sacrifice a little bit personally in order to take care of you and, and let you survive into the world. Once you're old enough to take Could care of you. Could you come up with, 
Could you come up with like medication or, or something that would yeah, allow you I, to live longer than 60 minutes? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm staying away from that kind of stuff. Um, okay. So yeah, the concept of the game, I mean, it does what it says on the tin, right? It's called one hour with life. <laughs> everyone's yeah, always right. asking no i think that's everyone always is asking for life extension and i'm like the point of the game <laughs> is that your life is brief that's the point it's not like trying to, <laughs> that's the point of real yeah. life too right like the, the all uh-huh. the life extension people are missing that that's part of what one hour but for 99 cents <laughs> you can buy the the, the two-hour life yeah <laughs> So uh, anyway, so you live out. So you're born as a baby and you get older over the course of time and your character visibly changes and eventually you get old and die during the course of your life. You can have a baby yourself or a couple babies along the way. And they are uh, other players who are joining the game. And if those babies have babies, those are your grandchildren joining the game um, who are also other players uh, and players and the world is persistent. So the stuff that you're building over the course of your lifetime is passed on to the next generation. But you die at the end of your hour and it's not like you get to just respawn right in the same spot. If you join the game, you're born as a baby to some other mother somewhere else in the world. Um, so I don't, I don't, I, so it's a reincarnation model, uh, you know, but I, I, I'm not trying to say that I believe reincarnation is true. I just, <laughs> I, I just, I, it's the only model. This the only, I, I would have loved to as, as an artist or like um, sort of a conceptual person, the idea of a game where you literally only play one life for your money and then you're done forever is very appealing to me, but I think it would be commercial suicide, right? People just wouldn't want to pay, sure. pay for that game. I also had a version of the game where you paid $1 for each life. Um, so you just had to keep putting quarters back in the machine to have more lives, but Ooh. also felt like too commercially risky, right? So, yeah. um, so anyway, so unlimited lives is necessary, but death has re- a real meaning because your life actually, the life that you're living actually ends um, and you're, you can start a new life, but it's a totally different story under totally different circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one time you're born into like essentially a primitive situation where you're foraging for berries and, and such with your mom. Uh, and then another situation you may born be born into a situation where someone has uh, infrastructure and, and uh, access to much better food and and quality of life and such. Yeah, I mean, you can be born into a village. You can, you can be, you know, you can be born into, you know, a primitive survival situation where your mother's about to starve to death as, as you're born, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you can be born into a village that's just getting its feet on the ground, right? It's got a couple of things going on. You can be born into yeah. a total thriving dynasty that's been around for hundreds of generations uh, mm-hmm. and has everything kind of established and built. You can also be born into a village or a civilization that's on its decline, right? Where people are like realizing that stuff is running out and, uh, and everyone's kind of freaking out yeah. and trying to, trying to keep the thing alive for a couple more generations. Um, mm. What's the longest any uh, legacy is gone? Do you have those kind of stats? Yeah, yeah. So all those stats are available at the top of the website, uh, onehourone-life.com. There's a bunch of interesting... I mean, there's, uh, as of a couple of days ago, a million lives have been lived inside the game. Um, and... Uh, so the longest family line is 111 generations. <laughs> wow. So how much time would that be? So they, is a generation uh, an hour? Well, so you, you have your baby around, I'd say you have your baby on average around at age 20 or something, right? So they, the people who lived, that was the Lee family that lived that long inside the game. And they, uh, they claimed, I asked them, how long did it take you to get there? And they said uh, about 40, 40 hours to live that long. So they had people playing in their family night and day from different parts of the world to keep it going while they slept. (laughs) Wow. Um, So anyway, uh, so yeah, so, um, 
but so, still yeah, less than like most people spend playing Final Fantasy 15 or whatever. Right. right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like if you look at the stats for individual players, I mean, there are in, in five weeks, there are players that have put in, you know, 250 or 300 hours, Ooh, um, wow. you know, and so I do the math and I'm like, wait, you spent 10 hours a day every day playing this game for the past four weeks or whatever. Ouch. I don't know what I'm doing to people here. <laughs> question. That's on you. Um, that's on you. That's on me. So, um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So what is this, what is one hour, one life more importantly, what is it, what is it sort of about or why, why did I make it? Um, so I wanted to tackle why there's all these, I mean, I think multiplayer games are, are the most interesting kind of format of games. Uh, and they always have been maybe, but we didn't really have the ability to make them the way we can today, like online multiplayer games. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I see a lot of really rich and interesting interactions and sort of very powerful aesthetic moments coming out of something like Minecraft multiplayer or rust or something like that. But I also see it sort of like hobbled, right? Like there's not societies never develop in there, right? Like there's no sheriff yeah. or law or morality or, you know, all the things that keep civilization running in real life just are kind of absent. And mm-hmm. my conclusion about why is that I, I want to build a game where I see all this potential in these games and I'm like, Oh, It'd be great if people had stores in Rust and if people formed a sheriff department in Rust and put people in jail who were breaking the, the rules of the village or whatever, but they never do, right? And, mm-hmm. um, and that would be interesting. Not only would it create interesting stories just from like a, an end product point of view, right? Oh, interesting stories happen in this thing, but also tackle some really interesting thorny issues of the human state, right? <laughs> like hmm. uh, things that humans grapple with all the time and that all sorts of other uh, mediums are all about, right? Like whenever you watch some Netflix show, it's all about those things, right? Right. Uh, right. Are you going to, you know, are you going to challenge the sheriff? And t- I mean, even, that's just a simple, stupid example from Western, right? But like, <laughs> are you going to challenge the authority of the sheriff in a town, right? Or not? I don't know, what is that mm-hmm. going to mean? And what's the sheriff going to do if you do, you know, and are people going to eventually lose faith in that sheriff or not? Right. Um, yeah. and, and that's a really deep, rich, interesting story, even as, as simple as it is from like a spaghetti Western or something. And, uh, but yet video games never deal with that, not in an interactive way, not outside of a cutscene. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. like, how do we build the games where people, where that actually happens in an interactive way? Um, and so mm-hmm. I figured I, my, uh, intuition here is that the reason none of these multiplayer games have those rich societal structures developing that allow for those kinds of interactions is because death is not real in those games. Um, and that I think death is actually this factor hanging in the back of almost all human endeavor that is like driving, uh, almost everything that we do, uh, in a way, and sometimes we don't realize it or it doesn't seem obvious, but like even something like trade, right? Like the, the great example is like bananas, right? Coming from Ecuador and they're marked up double the price of what that you could get them in Ecuador. Right. And so like, why wouldn't I just, you know, travel down to Ecuador and get them myself? Why am I willing to pay you double? It's because I'm going to die someday. <laughs> I have a limited amount of time. Yeah. It would take me a while to go down to Ecuador every time. Um, and so, you know, the same is true for uh, why, you know, law works at all. Why do people listen to the laws? It's because if you don't, finally, and you keep not listening to the laws long enough, they physically hurt you. And if you don't accept the physical hurt or imprisonment, they will actually kill you, right? right. <laughs> if you keep breaking the law over and over again, or people are coming to, to take you away once you've broken the law. And you say, I'm not going with you. <laughs> they, they aim deadly weapons at you and say, yes, you're coming with us. And if you pull out a deadly weapon to defend yourself, that's the end, right? They don't, they don't say, well, you're right. Actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're going to let you go this time. No, they keep, they, they'll elevate it as far as they need to elevate it. They'll bring the tanks if they have to bring the tanks, right? <laughs> um, so, mm-hmm. uh, that, so, so when you realize that, like, okay, so that's 
how law works. That's why trade works. People are building and doing all sorts of things in life, you know, and in part to kind of leave a mark in the physical world, um, you know, because they, they know that their, their time is limited here and they're trying to live on beyond their, <laughs> live on beyond their, the limits of the, of the, of mortality. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and so, and also like, you know, why do we care for our babies? I mean, there's maybe like biological reasons that are instinctual, but there's also, I think, philosophical reasons. Um, I don't know that just the biological attachment to our babies can explain all of the care that we give them. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, for me personally, I didn't become attached to my babies for like probably a week, maybe. <laughs> uh, yeah. After they were born, they were strangers at first. They were strange little babies. And then over time, I became attached <laughs> to them. But yeah. I didn't. It's like, interesting how I didn't throw it, them yeah. in the ditch or in the first week, right? There was there's like an intellectual uh, reason, right? You know, yeah. uh, and so um, and so trying to build a game where you know all those things are possible, I think requires death being real, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, and yeah. so uh, that that's the initial stab is like, well, will people start making laws if there's death? Will people start? trading and you know, mm-hmm. collaborating more if there's death people don't go off and work by themselves because they can't get as much done and they know they're going to die if they want to accomplish something in their lifetime they need to work together well certainly turns out all that stuff is true right i mean people have come up with laws for their village already right right off in the first couple of days they came up with laws yeah. and they teach you the law when you're born there'd be an elder who would like give you lessons about the village rules um mm-hmm. and then there was um yeah, I mean, people are also collaborating and helping each other and concerned about their babies. Because if you don't take care of your babies, in the end of your How life you, comes, that's it. Like, what you've been working on is just gone, right? Yeah. So people are do caring you, for each other, they're helping each other, sure they're teaching that, each like, other. How do you make sure that the world isn't spawned with just massive amounts of babies? A question we've all asked ourselves at one time or another. We're going to pause it right there. We'll be back with this LTN Rewind of Humans of Gaming from May 3rd, 2018, featuring Jason Rohrer. They're talking about one hour, one life, and uh, they'll be back to that discussion in just a bit. Enjoy some music until then. What's up, everybody? It's Station Manager Matt, and this is Five Not Cool Things. Number 21. When the imposter in a game of Among Us quits the game when people start voting for him instead of letting the game just play out. Come on, man. Number 22. Radio DJs that are way too obsessed with the time. It's 7.29 on this Wednesday morning in the land of a champion. 7.30, and it's cold out there. Let's toss it over to Mary for our news and weather at 7.31. Mary! I mean, they are so obsessed. Not only do they tell you what time it is, they tell you what time it is not. Well, we're nearing 732. Let's take some calls. I mean, gosh, my car has a clock in it, folks. So does my office. So does my phone. So does my everywhere. I'd be listening to the radio. Number 23, how Lysol kills 99.9% of germs, but it's the remaining 0.1% that are the most dangerous. Number 24, trying to take the twisty tie off of a loaf of bread but not knowing which way to untwist it because no matter which way you go, it seems like you're tightening it more. And 25, when my alarm is set for 7 o'clock but I get woken up 10 minutes before it goes off. It feels like such a betrayal, stupid bladder. You couldn't have waited a few more minutes? What a ripoff. Those are five not cool things. But you know what is cool? 
Love Thy Nerd streams on Twitch nearly every single night for several hours. You can come along, watch along, laugh along, chat with the guys playing. Uh, it's a good old time. Go to twitch.com slash lovethynerd. Welcome back to LTN Rewind. We are in progress with Humans of Gaming episode 107 from May 3rd, 2018. This is an interview with Jason Rohr, uh, creator of One Hour, One Life. And they're in the middle of talking about that game right now. So we're going to return to that conversation with Drew's interesting question. How do you make sure that the world isn't spawned with just massive amounts of babies? <laughs> it can't, can't be taken care of. Well, so if so, every woman that has a baby goes on <laughs> effectively birth cooled out. <laughs> I mean, these are it's, it's kind of funny because we're I'm a programmer, right? So we're you know we're using these yeah. sort of technical terms or game de- game designy terms for things that are you know very real. It's or so we call her. she's right. on she's yeah. on birth cool down. down. <laughs> That's what it's called in the code, right? But what it I mean, I guess it models is uh, you know ch- natural child spacing that would happen if. In real life, it happens too. If you're breastfeeding a child, as long as you're breastfeeding at night, you won't have another baby for years. Um, uh, so uh, there's natural child spacing in place in biology, right? And um, uh, so, um, yeah, so in this game, you're on birth cooldown. If too many women are on birth cooldown when you need to be born, it doesn't make you wait. It's like, oh, you want to play now? I can't make you wait until somebody's ready to have you as a baby. You just spawn as a new Eve, like the brood of a new civilization, right? So you're a sort of like oh, okay, you're, right. you're a, like a competing tribe that's starting from scratch somewhere else nearby out in the wilderness, and eventually, yeah. if, you're, gotcha. if your city big enough or you travel far enough, you could run into the other city that's been going for a while. So mm-hmm. yeah, you right. never you never and so there's never too many babies because each each woman just can't have that many in a row. I, I do have the birth cooldown set, so every once in a while there's twins that come like right one after another because it makes for an interesting story, right? <laughs> uh, right. But uh, but the babies are spaced out more uh, more or less, and um, yeah. But it's interesting that you say that you say death was sort of the driver of like solving that problem because um, like when you first started ta- when I first started reading about it, I thought of this game that I played a long time ago called Real Lives 2010. I think is what it was called. Have you ever heard of this game? No, no. I guess I should look it up after. Nope. Um, yeah, so it's like you're randomly, it's based on real world census data. And so you're randomly like born into the world. Um, and you might, you know, like the first time you play, you might be born in China, um, to some fairly well off parents. Then the next time you might be born in sub-Saharan Africa somewhere and, um, to a really impoverished family. Um, but it, and then you, you basically make little decisions about like, schooling and where you know as you grow up uh what you're gonna do like for your job and all that kind of stuff and so the idea is sort of i think it's it's kind of an empathy game i guess in that it's meant to open your eyes to the different the very different experiences people have growing up and and how the place they grow up and the opportunities they're given um change their impact the way their life plays out Right, right. I mean, there's an idea from philosophy uh, called the veil of ignorance, which is basically uh-huh. saying, you know, if you, if you took yourself as a as a random, uh, you had a random chance of being spawned or t- trading places with anybody else in the world in whatever situation that they're in, um, 
is that, you know, we, oftentimes we make decisions about how we think society should operate from our point of view, right? Like from mm-hmm. <laughs> what benefits us yeah. or whatever. Uh, but if you look at like sort of it as a, as a probability problem, like every person and every, all the 7 billion people are a bin and you're a pachinko ball that's going to fall in one of those bins at random. <laughs> you know, how would you want, yeah. how would you want the world to be uh, structured if you had a chance of, of uh, you know, doing that? And like, you know, oh, if, if half the people in the world are impoverished, you have a 50% chance of, of being impoverished. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the, game is, I- the game is sort of about that to some degree, right? You, you sort of, you don't get to choose the situation that you're born into. Um, and sometimes you're born into you bad do, situations yeah. and good, or sometimes you're born into really amazing situations. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I, I like that part about it too, but I, I think it's interesting that you've designed obviously a lot more into this in the sense that like you have an opportunity for an hour at least uh, to to like change the situation that you're in to um, like, I guess, I guess if I were playing or, or I wonder as people play, or do you, do you hear feedback from players that are actually thinking about like what they're leaving behind? Is that a, a constant thing that pops in people's yeah, heads? I as mean, they play? It, it like, seems to be the only thing that they care about. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, players who play these kinds of games where you're building stuff are used to playing a game where you're like constantly able to come back forever to your creation and it's saved forever for you. Right. right. And like you just chip away at it or keep adding to it and keep embellishing it. And then until you finally get bored of it and then you're like, you know, stop playing not because you lost your creation, but because you're just tired of it. Right. And, um, and so they come into this game and they're like, well, I can create this stuff. I can build this little house, but uh, I want to keep playing in my house. Like it's gone now. Like I can't get back to it, you know? And so, the only way that house has any meaning is if the people who come after them make some use of it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So very often at the end of someone's life, there's this little like deathbed speech kind of that happens, <laughs> you know, yeah. as they, they'll say like, Oh, my time is near. And they'll start like uh, bequeathing their possessions to different people in the village. Like here, you can have my hat and here you can take my <laughs> backpack. And, you know, so they often die naked, right? Cause they want to, their valuable clothing that they've got, they pass on to their grandchildren first, right? Naked. I came and naked. That's right. Yeah. Leave the same way. I mean, they, and they, also, they also walk outside the village to a nice spot in the woods so that people don't have to clean up their bones afterwards. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I mean, that's considerate. I feel that's like real considerate. Uh, so they have I, to do that. No, no, they don't. I mean, if they die in the middle of the village, their bones, there's a pile of bones in the center of the village that other people have to then sweep up. Oh, right. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, but anyway, they, uh, uh, yeah, so they are, they are thinking a lot about, you know, they often will give instructions at the end of their life to the up and coming next generation. Right. Like, remember, we're trying to accomplish this in the village. That's what my father told me. We're still, we're still not there yet, but that's what we're trying to do. Um, and, uh, and I actually just, I'm adding something today that's even more, uh, like a, because I'm trying to, I'm, I'm trying to like see these things that people are doing in the game and things that are like, are interesting to them and kind of amplify those things. Like I saw them naming babies. So I added a way to actually name babies. Um, so I see people like concerned about these like transgenerational projects or, you know, doing something bigger than themselves. Like these people who wanted to live a hundred over a hundred generations, they set that as their goal. Right. Um, yeah. And, and they, they tried to see if they could do it. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm adding this kind of like monument that takes, uh, you know, will take potentially 18 or 20 hours to complete. Um, and so you really need to cooperate and, and, and keep your village going over that time, generation after generation after generation, if you ever want to complete this, this thing. Right. And then once you complete it, it unlocks like a special kind of thing that you can do that no one else who has no other village can do that hasn't completed this thing yet. Right. Um, so, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff, like, um, you know, oh, I see you're interested in, 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 you know, having 
long generational lines, well, like I'm sort of throwing down the gauntlet saying, we'll see if your generational line can accomplish this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, I do want to, cause I think we want to make sure we ask you some personal questions about your life and upbringing and all that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and no I more, think no more maybe, talking about one hour of life. <laughs> well, no, I think maybe it ties in because I was going to say, this game and, and a lot of your games, but particularly this game feels like a um, there's a selflessness to the message of it that forces players to think about more than just themselves. Like how do how does my investment in this world impact those who come after and, and those who who may even be under my care? Like the fact that you have to care for well, I guess you don't have to, but you're given the <laughs> opportunity to care for kids, for babies is, is pretty unique. Um, do you have a sense of like where that desire to, to, is, would, is there a desire in you to, to live a selfless life that impacts others positively? And and where did that come from? Yeah. So, um, it's an interesting question because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I would see myself as a, as a sort of philosophically an individualist. Right. Um, but mm-hmm. that's more from the point of view of like, what should people be forced to do versus not forced to do? Mm. And so I, I, I very rigidly believe that nobody should be forced to do anything that they don't really want to do. I don't think we should have, you can't, you know, the idea of forcing people to be selfless or forcing people to be altruistic, yeah. or forcing people yeah. to help others when they really don't want to, uh, is kind of abhorrent to me because the only way to force somebody to do something is, is through the threat, threat of violence mm. at the end of the day. Um, so the idea that somebody would come and try and force me to do something I really didn't want to do. And then if I didn't do it, threaten me with violence is just, oh, geez, well, that's not right. It can't be right. It can't be right for you to show up at my house with a gun and tell me to do whatever you tell, think you're going to tell me to do. Yeah. Um, assuming mm-hmm. that I haven't done any, I haven't violated anybody else's rights anyway. Right. Um, so that's my philosophy. On the other hand, I sort of see, um, you know, my own mortality, obviously. I, I mean, I just, I just had my 40th birthday this year. My oldest child, like mm-hmm. we talked about, or, we talked about earlier is 15, right? He's gone through puberty. He's a man in my house. He's six foot three, you know? Ooh. And so oh, gosh. I'm, I'm tall. I'm six foot eight. Um, so that's an important part of the picture. <laughs> uh, you're talking to a tall guy here. Um, so, uh, so, you know, I've got this man lumbering around my house, uh, you know, sh- <laughs> sh- sh- with a deep voice yeah. and he's shaving and stuff. And, um, and so, you know, like time is passing, right? Like this, like, especially when you have kids, you realize for the first time, maybe that you're not the main character in the story anymore, right? Mm. <laughs> you, you remember your own childhood where you were the main character and your parents were these sort of very interesting, very important, very powerful side characters for good or bad, depending on your childhood uh, or some mixture of both. And when you have children, it kind of brings it, it kind of closes the loop, right? It brings it all full circle where you're like, oh, wow, this is what childhood is like from the uh, from the outside right like this is this <laughs> yep. is this is uh-huh. this is the forming of a new story and i'm just this side character that will be remembered someday right um Mm-mm. and so seeing yourself in that position understanding that yes you know you have individual rights and so on but at the same time you're kind of like powerless long term without uh, the coll- collaboration of other people to some degree um mm. even if even if it's transgenerational collaboration or you know it's like what you do only has meaning in terms of how much other people get out of it at, in the end um and uh at least temporarily right <laughs> i mean I, yeah. I i also believe that uh everything 
all existence is kind of doomed long term. We're talking about, you know, billions or trillions or quadrillions of years, maybe. As far as I can tell, I think it's all kind of doomed. I think the sun will eventually turn into a red giant and swallow the earth. So, you know, everything that we're doing here is is sort of temporary. Um, uh, as far as I can tell, I'm, I'm not I'm, I don't know that for sure. Um, and, uh, and so, um, but temporarily, like, (laughs) like the only thing we can do is build things that other people make some kind of use of. Right. Um, and, and continue this kind of like collaborative human project, uh, which is is civilization, Mm -hmm. right. Which involves a lot of cooperation, even if people are cooperating, you know, in this weird sort of asynchronous way, right. Like people talk about, like, took a thousand different people collaborating to make a single pencil. Right. And none of those people by themselves would know how to make the pencil if they were asked to. Um, mm. Like people made the paint, the eraser, mm-hmm. all the people who harvested the wood, the people who made the graphite, the people who made the metal ferrule that holds the eraser. You know, they're all these different people all over the world, right? And um, yet they're coming together and kind of cooperating in this way. Maybe it's not, you know, it's not forced cooperation. It's maybe self-motivated cooperation, but it's still cooperation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where, where do you think that came? I mean, where did you grow up and, and what was that like? Um, so I grew up, I grew up in Ohio in kind of a, not even a small town setting, sort of a somewhat rural setting. Um, no side sidewalk kind of place. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and yeah, so I spent a lot of time in the woods when I was a kid, we had like woods around our house. Like our house was on an acre in Ohio and it like our whole backyard was just wild woods. So I spent a lot of time in nature, exploring, hiking just around where I lived. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, uh, in terms of these kind of bigger philosophical questions, my mother is, uh, was a, is, and, and was a sort of a very, you know, an intellectual type person. She herself was a computer programmer back in the seventies. Um, and had read all sorts of science fiction and philosophy books and stuff, um, yeah. throughout her life. And, mm-hmm. and when I was five, I think I, you know, remember laying in bed, trying to talk to God and getting no response back and feeling kind of distressed about that. And I went down and was like, you know, mom is there a god and she's like no honey <laughs> so uh that's that's sort of like you know my, my my philosophical and religious upbringing is you know is uh is like i was i tell my tell people i was born and raised atheist right essentially although my mom will claim she's agnostic not atheist because it'd be foolish to be atheist uh given that there's no proof uh, sure. you know to, to, to back uh full-blown atheism yeah. um but mm-hmm. yeah so um so that's you know when I when I talk about you know our place in the universe or something it's it's it, it comes from like a I guess what I would say is like, so it's, it's a very sort of scary thinking about those things is a very sort of scary empty kind of feeling right yeah. <laughs> um, thinking about uh, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie uh, we talked about Inception before uh, have you seen the movie um, Interstellar yeah uh, also yes, Christopher Nolan. And so, so, so they're going out like looking for some place in the universe, looking for anything, right? Yeah. And they're just finding nothing everywhere, right? Wherever they go, mm-hmm. they and you know, and I don't want to spoil the movie, but essentially, you know, at the end of the movie, the only thing they find is themselves, right? <laughs> you know, they're they're chasing down this message that they received, but you know, they're the ones sending it at the end of the day, right? Um, so it's like the idea that we're like I don't know, like, and even you know, even in like Christian philosophy right there's the idea of the earth being this special little bubble <laughs> where like something special happened mm-hmm. uh, in isolation from the rest of the universe right or either it's the center of the story or it's you know the only important place where anything's going on and you know there's christian theology talks about whether it's possible that there's um you know other p- 
people or beings on other planets that are intelligent and what God might think about them <laughs> or, you know, uh, you know how, 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 if we ever found that there were, I and mean, we have no evidence that there are any, you know, like what would, what, like, how would we grapple with that in terms of vis-a-vis like our understanding of God's relationship to us. Right. And so, but uh, either both stories are kind of the same, right. As far as like the idea that the earth is just this crazy you know, isolated locus right. of anything interesting going on in the universe. <laughs> and it's also very mm-hmm. fragile and it's doomed. <laughs> like this is not going to be here forever. Right. Like the, the, the things that you're making here will pass. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, whether you uh, believe that the apocalypse is right around the corner or not, there is some kind of thing like that coming. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. so like the transience of this kind of material existence is kind of almost like, almost you could say at least almost somewhat provable scientifically at least as far as most people yeah. believe right um so that fear of of like everything falling apart and how fragile our existence is is that's like a thing that you you think about a lot like it motivates you yeah um i mean my, a lot of my work is very uh I, I guess people would call it existential or filled with some kind of existential angst or something right i mean mm-hmm. death death of some kind features into a lot of my work or grappling with something that's way bigger than you are or um uh you know being fundamentally unable to like in the castle doctrine which is one of my more recent games you're you're trying to set up these security systems but your security systems are sort of doomed to fail at the hands of somebody else who's going to benefit from them Mm -hmm. everything you build is eventually going to be taken away from you right and um yeah so there's a sort of limited sense of like you know temporary you know like oh we can sort of feel okay and feel safe for this time being right but we know that it's it's not it's not everlasting as much as we'd like it to be um you know security mm-hmm. security is sort of an illusion at the end of the mm-hmm. day <laughs> something's coming for you right um yeah uh, and so we try to feel safe we try to feel as safe as we can and we often i think we take um you know extraordinary precautions in ways that don't really even matter in our quest to feel safe like Oh, a few people get in some ski accidents, you know, and then all of a sudden, a couple of years later, every single person on the slopes is wearing a helmet, mm-hmm. right? Like, we're, we're so desperate right. to find some way to finally be safe that, like, mm-hmm. even, even if the studies show, sure. studies show that wearing bike helmets doesn't even save, like, say, do anything for you, you know, uh, on average, because cars get closer to you when they see that you're not, see that you're wearing a helmet. <laughs> And they're less, wow. you know, that's, that's what, that's, that's what some studies have shown, right? Is that ca- when cars see someone not wearing uh-huh. a helmet, they give them a wider berth, <laughs> right? So if they see you with a helmet on, they come closer to you. Um, or, they just go uh, after right. you. Well, no, they just like they don't feel like they need to worry as much about you, right? Um, yeah. If you have a baby trailer, they give you a really wide berth, right? Because <laughs> they're like, oh, there's a baby in that. Yeah. Even if there's only groceries in the trailer, having the baby trailer. <laughs> so, so, um, so, so anyway, all these things that we do, we're trying to like you know shore up the safe, the sense of security and safety, trying mm-hmm. to like you know make sure that you know, this inevitable thing doesn't happen, but it's, it's all kind of for naught in the end. Right. Um, no matter how safe we think we are, no matter how many precautions we take, how much, no matter how much oat bran we eat. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting to me because I think a lot of like Chris and Chris and I both, uh, come from a Christian perspective. So, um, I think that's one of the things that, um, some Christians would say in response to this is that it sounds like your view of the world sounds depressing to them. I'm not saying it is necessarily, but it sounds that way. And, and I'm just curious, have you like, did that thought of like the, the fact of how fragile all this is and, and 
how little there is we can do about it sometimes uh that never drove you to like i'm gonna i'm gonna explore religion in some way um well yeah no we, we can get to that in a second but um it is interesting like how how scary the 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 place that i'm at or play, people like me are at is right in fact yeah. so i went to a, i went to a catholic high school when i uh was in high school not because i was catholic but just because it was a good school and my parents were like you're going to this school it's the only <laughs> good school around here or something so um you know i took uh <laughs> took the uh took communion by accident the first time they held, they held mass and i didn't know i wasn't <laughs> supposed to you know that, that's the kind of that's the kind of like catholic school student took i was like stumbling around like yeah, and then they told me, "Wait a minute, you're not Catholic. <laughs> you're not supposed to do that." Anyway, so you know, I've, I've um, during that experience, I uh, you know read quite a bit of the Old Testament, read quite a bit of the New Testament in two different like semester long classes. I've been on a Catholic retreat uh, called Kairos that the Jesuit schools do mm-hmm. sometimes, and um, and so I've I've ex- had a lot of I've had a lot of experience with Catholicism in particular from that school. But there were only like three atheists in the whole school, uh, my whole class, as far as I knew. Yeah. Three people who talked about it, and we were sort of notorious because we were always like, you know, debating people in the in the religion classes and debating the Jesuits or whatever, right? During during mm-hmm. discussions, and so one of my friends who was an atheist, like really tried and true, sort of steadfast blue true blue atheist throughout high school i talked to him a couple years after high school like through toward the end of college and he was like we were talking about atheism and he's like yeah no i'm not an atheist anymore like, oh, man, what happened you know you dropped the job he's like oh, it was just too death was just too scary that was his only answer huh. right <laughs> like death is just yeah. too scary i was like that's not a good enough answer <laughs> i was like don't you, know, don't you care about the truth he's like i don't want to know the truth death is just too scary with the truth there's you know wow. like, yeah and so, so, but for you, it was always like, is, is, it was worth it, I guess. <laughs> 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 worth all the fear well, and existential thinking. turmoil because, you know, it's like, um, but for you, it seems like a, a quest for truth to some extent. Like you seem to have a difficulty with that concept because in, in your mind, at least to buckle on that issue because you're afraid of death would be to lie to yourself or whatever. Right. I mean, it's like, there's a famous example from philosophy. I think it's called like Pascal's wager or something, right? Oh, yeah. Right, where, right, you, yeah. where you say, well, you know, if you're a betting man and you lose this bet, you're going to right. hell. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you better believe in Christianity. Just in, I mean, that, that always feels very, um, sort of flimsy to me, right? Like that, that's right. the reason you, that's sure. not really faith or that's not really true yeah. belief. That's just sort of like a gamble you know, or something. Like you're, you're standing, you're standing in line outside the gates of heaven and you change your mind at the last minute. Right. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I believe the whole time. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. I sure, sure did. Um, so, uh, yeah, I have been a sort of a spiritual seeker throughout my life. I just keep never finding anything. Um, so I've, uh, geez, I've done all sorts of things in terms of like you know exploring supernatural or different religions. I've meditated re- rather extensively. I've uh tried to contact ghosts uh I've chased after ufos i've uh you know i don't know dabbled with uh, thinking yeah. about Christi- earlier, thinking about christianity you know a little bit um when i was in catholic school i almost got sort of uh the siren song of jesus's suffering almost uh won me over <laughs> really well i mean you know it's a it when I, I guess yeah there was um there was some point in which we were studying the new testament and reading about the suffering on the cross and so on that I was like starting to feel this emotional, you were moved by that. Yeah, this sort of emotional. Um, and then I also, so when at Kairos, 
Um, I, <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you guys have, uh, have been, you guys have probably been on religious retreats, I'm assuming. Yeah, uh, sure. Have yeah. you ever been on a religious retreat that had some sort of a bent towards conversion a little bit? Oh, of course. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, some religious retreats, everyone's, you know, already a I'm believer sure. who's there. At Catholic, at, at Catholic school, I mean, I think that'd be the case too, but they were really trying to, it seemed clear to me after I went through it, really trying to sort of drive the, drive the point yeah. home, you know, and if you're, if you're a doubting Catholic, you right. won't be after this. Um, so what they did, yeah. what they did <laughs> was... I always they, thought those were more like common in evangelical circles or whatever, but I guess that's... I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I'm well, sure it wasn't very heavy handed. Just... It was very subtle. And that's why it almost worked on me. Right. So what they did, <laughs> okay. what they, what they did is they, um, we have this like, uh, little groups that we got into where we could talk about anything and everything. And so like, you know, our group leader had been through this retreat before and then we, it was a group of guys only and the girls were in their own little groups. And so we had like six or seven people, people from my school that they weren't my friends yeah. necessarily. And then all of a sudden we were encouraged to open up about things and talk about things we didn't normally talk about not anything to do with religion. So people were talking about, you know, sexual experiences and their fears and their dad dying and their, you know, masturbation. I don't know, whatever. They're just kind of opening up about things that they had never talked about before. And our group leader had had a really rough life growing up. And he told us these stories and was really like, wow, I didn't know that about you, dude. I'd seen you in the halls all this time. I didn't know you used to sell crack in the ghetto when you were growing up, you know, really like kind of soul bearing kind of stuff. Right. And so we get all like, you know, really kind of open and feeling great. And then they bring us back to the center room and then they're like, okay, you've had your group sessions. Now you could just go off to your room for a little bit. They didn't tell us why we'll come, we'll come get you in a little bit. So we each go back to our rooms and we have individual separate rooms, like little monks chambers mm. kind of that we're sleeping in. Um, uh-huh. And there on our beds, once we close the door and go into our room is this big pile of letters and the letters are from everybody who loves us right in our lives. Like they secretly, yeah, contacted our parents, asked our parents to find every person who was important in our lives. So I had letters from all my aunts and uncles, all my other relatives, my, you know, some of my grandparents, a heartfelt letter from my father who I'd never really had a very strong emotional connection with. He was apologizing about all these things he did when I was growing up, like, uh, from my piano teacher, from my old science teacher from grade school, you know, all these people who loved me. Right. And so it's this emotionally overwhelming experience to have this, like, you know, your the love of all the people in your Jeez, life kind yeah. of made palpable to you in one instant, right? So that you read through this whole stack, they give you an hour to sit there, and by the time you come out, you're <laughs> sobbing, right? So we all walk out sobbing collectively into the central chapel at this retreat place, and then that's when they start talking to us about Jesus. <laughs> so what was the? I'm wondering what this their is. The, this is the love. The love that you're feeling right now. The love that you're feeling right now. That's okay. God, right? That feeling that you're feeling mm-hmm. while you're crying. All everyone in the whole room is crying. Like even football players are sobbing, right? Um, And that that you're feeling right now, that feeling, that feeling is God, right? That's what that Mm. is. That's a triple bar equals for mathematics. (laughs) God is love, right? Um, So anyway, so that almost, yeah, I feel like that's probably the closest I ever came to being like, oh man, that's right. Certainly an interesting conversation here on LTN Rewind. This is a classic episode of Humans of Gaming from May 7th, 2018. We still got a little bit more to come. Stick around with us. They'll pick up with their conversation on faith aspects in just a bit. Until then, enjoy some awesome music here on LTN Radio. I do my best to to be my own man and uh, 
go by the beat of a different drummer and nobody gets me and they're always putting up walls and I'm always tearing them down just breaking down barriers that's what I do all day so a coffee in the last episode of the first season of The Office, we see both Michael and Dwight battling for the affection of the purse girl, a solicitor who comes in to sell purses in the office, which Michael only allowed after seeing her and being attracted to her. Michael puts on this facade of someone who is always tearing down barriers throughout the day, and you know, maybe he does sort of believe that that's who he is, but it's clear he's putting on a show. Dwight puts on a show by pretending he's actually interested in buying a purse for his own use, thanks to another prank by Jim. Not only are both these men entirely infatuated with this woman pretty much on sight, they're already beginning to plan out their future lives with this woman they hardly know. Sometimes life can be captivating like that. Something, it doesn't have to be someone of the opposite sex, but something is in our path that we feel like we don't deserve as ourselves, that we need to put on a facade, we need to put on a show, we need to puff up our chest a bit. Lie, in other words. No, I don't believe that. Believe it or not, we do it all the time. And while the act of building ourselves up to look better than we really are might be rooted in our lack of self-esteem, the idea that we have that no matter what we present outwardly, everyone else is going to believe it, that is rooted in our pride. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. And of course, Matthew 23.12 reminds us that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. God is clear in those verses and so many others that he wants us to act in a spirit of genuineness and humility. I'm not saying you have to show off all of your warts to every person that you encounter, especially somebody that you're interested in dating. Goodness gracious, no. But what I am saying is that anytime we put ourselves on a false pedestal because of our lack of self-esteem, but fueled by our pride, we are destined to fall and come crashing down hard. Genuine Humility. Just do it. Nike. Catch a new Back Row Binge Watch every Monday on the Back Row Morning Show, exclusively on LTN Radio. Welcome back to LTN Rewind and our last segment here of our flashback to Humans of Gaming episode 107 hosted by Drew Dixon and Chris Gwaltney with their special guest James Rohr of One Hour One Life. They're actually talking about faith right now back in May 7th of 2018. Let's jump right back into that conversation. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, Darren Brown. He's a uh, mentalist from England who does like hypnotism and all kinds of uh-huh. magic and mind reading kind of stuff. He has uh, BBC shows that are very famous in England, not yeah. that well known in the United States. But he has a, a famous special where he's, he's, he promises to give an atheist a religious conversion. Wow. Um, and, he, and, he, and he does. He, and succeeds. He, he, he succeeds by the end of the show. And uh-huh. can, this is uh, very true. Well, inter- yeah. Like but he's using certain techniques. He's using, you know, sure. he's he's, he's yeah. making your feel a sense of awe, and then connecting those things to religious ideas, right? Yeah, that's interesting. There's this book that um, I came across. I think when I was in seminary, I actually went to seminary, and um, I was actually a pastor for a while. Um, but uh, that's another story. But um, 
when I re- in seminary that someone introduced to me as sort of like a bad example of of teaching about God, I guess. Uh, and it was called the soul winner, but it was all that kind of stuff. Like it was, here's how you get somebody to be, here's how you put the pressure on and you get somebody. Yeah. And so like now, now when I look back on it, I see a lot of the, like these are just sort of psychological techniques as opposed to like presenting some information and asking somebody to maybe think about it. Um, and I even I knew there were there's this Christian retreat that I didn't go on, but lots of my friends did in in high school. That was exact. It was an evangel- evangelical thing, but it was exactly the same sort of thing. At the end of their retreat, they got all these letters. Uh, so wow. so it's a well known well technique. Never heard of that? Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> I mean, the Catholics, especially yeah. the Jesuits, would not usually want to sully themselves with the techniques of the evangelicals. I wouldn't say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and this particular retreat that I'm thinking about too, you had to um like get. This was before cell phones and stuff, but you had to turn in your watch and stuff before the, and I'm sure if they still do it, they'd probably turn in your cell phone or whatever. But the idea was that you wouldn't be worried about, you know, the things that you normally are so that you could be focused on this experience. Well, having people stuff. turn in their watch is also a well-established brainwashing technique. You guys know, right? <laughs> is it really? Because well, you lose track of time and you become disoriented, you know? Uh, huh. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, there's also, yeah, there's uh yeah, this, this stuff is all interesting. I don't know. I mean, I, uh, uh, so that was my experience with that. Those are my close brushes, at least with the Catholic end of, uh, um, uh, the, the, you know, philosophy and, and theology and religion. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, I've had some interesting experiences meditating. I also did some reading in like Taoist mm-hmm. philosophy at one point, um, dabbled in like some pagan stuff just to, I don't know, read about it. Cause it was interesting. Um, but I guess every time I've ever dabbled or looked into any of these things or gone on a ghost walk with the professional ghost hunters or gone to a UFO hotspot that a guy with a PhD recommends, you know, I just find airplanes landing at the nearby airport, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know, I, 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 yeah. the, the, the people who are the professional ghost hunters are taking pictures of dust particles with a flash camera at night and calling right. them orbs. Right. Like that's, you said, uh, um, mm-hmm. and I know, I, I know, I know, you know, that all, you know, from a Christian perspective, all that stuff is, is clearly nonsense anyway. Right. There aren't ghosts walking around the world. Um, but, uh, you know, there's people who believe, Oh, I, yeah, I've also investigated, I've done some investigation of ESP and stuff. I had a friend in, in grad school, who claimed for sure that he had extrasensory powers. But when I built a simple test for him, he just was got, did as well as random <laughs> rolling the dice would have gotten done. Right. Uh, so I don't it's know. I'm, 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 I'm kind of a hardcore hey, skeptic. If nothing else, know. you're thorough. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Like Jay, you know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with James Randy. He's the, the psychic oh. investigator guy. Mm-hmm. I think he, uh, so yeah. So, um, He's uh, he's he's the guy. Uh, There's a famous Israeli psychic named Uri Geller mm. back in the 70s and 80s who would go on all these talk shows and read people's minds and all this stuff. And he claimed he really was psychic and people believed him. And uh, James Randi famously uh, wrote a whole book debunking his practice and went on the Johnny Carson show at one point. Like, and you know, Uri Geller gets real nervous when he sees James mm. Randi show up. <laughs> oh, I'm not feeling it today. My powers are not on today. Because <laughs> he's not a psychic. He's just a magician, just like everybody else. But he was actually yeah. had convinced people, and he made a living by, by convincing people he really had psychic powers. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm also familiar with astro- uh, like astro- astrological kinds of things, and like the the movement uh-huh. of of the uh, the movement of the uh, 
constellations mm. of the zodiac uh, through the place the sun rises on the equinox, which define things like you know the age of Pisces, which is connected to Jesus, and the age of Aries, which is connected to Moses before Jesus, and the age of Aquarius which Jesus predicts in the Bible, you know, because you're looking for the man who's bringing a pitcher of water, right? That's the age of Aquarius. This comes every 2000 mm-hmm. years. There's a new astrological age coming, right? So that, you know, that kind of uh, astrological symbolism is laced throughout the Bible. Um, and, you know, so I, that kind of stuff is interesting to me. The fact that people thousands of years ago were aware that there's like these 2000 year cycles of in the heavens. <laughs> like, how did they know that? I don't know. Um, yeah. Interesting. You mentioned meditation and that you had some interesting experiences there. I guess I was just kind of curious what that was like. Yeah. So I don't know what kind of meditation I was doing. Uh, probably just like, you know, bookstore self-help paperback okay. meditation. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't yeah. rem- remember the name of it. I can't name it. Right. But, you know, just essentially I was actually laying down because I, I think that's, more, one, of the, that's one of the official ones. <laughs> You know, people talk about transcendental meditation. I don't think it was necessarily that or mantra meditation. You know, I just was breathing through my nose and out through my mouth or something and trying to regulate my breath and, and trying to keep my focus on and push out thoughts, you know, uh, and try to just uh, kind of keep my, th- my, my mind centered and away from yeah. flying off into different thoughts as long as I could, you know, um, in like a dark, comfortable room. And you know, I guess I sort of felt like I lost touch with my body to some degree. I started, I mean, the mental state I achieved after 10 or 15 minutes of doing this Mm. was pretty strange. Um, Mm. I was having thoughts, but they weren't really like normal thoughts anymore. They were, you know, almost like, like borderline kind of like hallucinations or mental, (laughs) mental figmenty kinds Mm. of patterns Mm. and collages of images, you know, and, and feeling very strange, feeling very, um, like almost like in a trance, I guess, or something, you know, I don't know. Uh, Very sort of strange. Like you're stuck in an infinite (laughs) loop of playing super hexagon. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe something like that, but yeah, it's just a strange, definitely a strange mental state and coming out of it afterwards felt like, you know, coming back, you know? (laughs) So I guess I Hmm. see why, you know, if you do that for hours and hours and hours, you could probably get to some pretty strange places mentally. Um, And, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I also didn't find like those, things that compelling right? I, I, right I didn't continue doing it um yeah i mean a lot of people use meditation as sort of mental training to mm-hmm. help themselves learn how to control their mind if you can control yourself for like 15 minutes a day and not think about anything and in times when you get panicked or and feel anxious about something or worried about something you can use it to help you fall asleep yeah, or use it to get out of your mental state and kind of reset yourself yeah well i was just wondering about that too because we talked about earlier about how um at least some people would, I don't know if you would interpret or express it this way, but some people would interpret your worldview as kind of depressing. I think a lot of Christians would interpret the worldview of atheists as depressing in the sense of like, you know, obviously there's a hope that Christians have about uh, redemption and and um, not just redemption, but like... Um, you know, uh, like an eternal hope, I guess. Well, I mean, literally some of the pamphlets say death is not the end, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, no, and I I don't think... Let's say like that... Most atheists agree that it's it's depressing, right? Most I don't think any atheists go around saying, you know what, atheism is uplifting. (laughs) (laughs) Right, sure. I think they agree it's depressing. It's kind of like, you know, taking your medicine or something though, right? Like... (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, yeah. But I was just wondering like if you found 
in doing meditation or any of those sorts of things, like those things to be helpful for like coping with some of that or, um, yeah, not, not necessarily. I mean, I guess, um, I mean, or I, the I, letters I, that you read <laughs> in that Catholic retreat. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah there is some, there is some, um, com- some kind of comfort in, uh, you know, in my children, um, and knowing that they're going to go on after I'm gone, there's some comfort there. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I also just sort of have some degree of, of sort of self mastery in terms of, I don't know, not, I've never really been one that lets my mind get too much out of my own control in terms of going down paths that are self-destructive or whatever. Right. I can I sort of, I can stop when I want to kind of, you know, I don't know. So mm-hmm. like, um, you know, or I, I can, I, I can stop myself from getting caught up in the situate in a given situation and take a step back and like navigate the situation intentionally as opposed to getting all yeah. emotionally stirred up. Like, I don't get that emotionally stirred up very often. And when I do, I can kind of bring myself down, like sort of self-aware in that way. I guess I've always kind of had that capability to some degree. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's good answers to these questions. I mean, like, it's like, you know, if I, if I did start believing in God now, I don't know how much comfort it would bring because it would feel like a, a sort of a, a, a weak belief that I almost didn't believe in. Right. Um, yeah. Right. So like, unless it's a truly held belief and a deeply held one that is kind of held without question, if there's these, like if these nagging doubts are like right under the surface, <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it might even make it worse. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. like, keep telling yourself, you <laughs> <laughs> to tell yourself right. you believe in God when you really don't, then you know it's it's almost like mm-hmm. a, it's a salvo that doesn't doesn't soothe. So, so are there beliefs though? I'm curious, like beliefs in humanity or 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 life, I guess that because because I do think your games and the work that you do feel um, like feel like they have a moral backbone to them for sure. Um, so where does that come from there then like your sense of morality and your sense of, um, making a, a positive impact on people in the world. Right. Right. Um, so it's interesting that, I mean, just very quickly, we're not spending too much more time on it, but in one hour, one life, right. There is no, um, moral system built into the fabric of the game, right? There's no yeah. points you win for doing the right thing or anything. <laughs> you can just leave all the babies to die. You leave you all want. the babies to die. You can pick up a knife and kill everyone in your village, you know, whatever. Like there's the, you can steal things from the neighboring village and there's no like, you know, theft points or something. There's no karma. You know, people have asked me mm-hmm. to put karma in. Okay. So that's not in there, but moral behavior is emerging in the game for the most part. Right. Um, things yeah. that we would normally call moral, like helping someone who needs help, taking care of a baby, you know, who's been abandoned, um, uh, not taking things, asking first before you take something that somebody else is using, uh, basically maybe mm-hmm. you even call it kindergarten morality, right? <laughs> the, the, sure, yeah. Everything you need to know you learned in kindergarten, they say, right? Um, so, uh, the question is why does that emerge? Right? Like, and, and so I think that's a question we can ask about the world as well. Like morality, isn't it just arbitrary? Like, isn't it just, um, you know, if there's no ultimate authority, like everything's just relative, right? And one person's morality is no better than the other. Uh, but I think that there is a certain, um, logic 
underpinning all of it and also the sort of sort of survival value um to morality and altruism that is has emerged over time like i i like using the two tribes thought experiment right like you know we we put like a simple example we put women on the lifeboats first right in our culture and in almost every culture around the world right um yeah and, and when the titanic sank the rich men died at a greater uh to a greater percentage than than, yeah. than the poorest women on the ship right like the, these third class women from down in the hall came up and got on the lifeboats before these wealthy aristocrats, right? <laughs> Male aristocrats. Mm-hmm. So in the two tribes ex- experiment, you imagine one tribe that protects their women, puts them on lifeboats first, stay, keeps them home from war while the men go out to fight the war. Second tribe does the opposite, keeps their men safe, puts them on the lifeboats first, keeps their men safe at home while the women go off to fight the wars. And you talk about which tribe over a couple hundred years is going to be uh, doing better, right? Or surviving better or even still around, right? <laughs> the one mm-hmm. that, you know, as, as the Mormons found out, um, you know, you don't need that many men <laughs> to keep your civilization going. Right? Uh, uh, and, and so, um, well, I mean, that's, that, that's I mean, I've talked to Mormon friends about the, 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 yeah. the, you know, history of polygamy or whatever in the, in the, in the Mormon culture, they, they, they give mm-hmm. that as the reason. Well, there was a shortage of men, right? Um, and, and I don't know whether, yeah, whether that's historically course. true or not, but I've heard, you know, if there's a shortage of men, it's, it's not really a problem, right? You send your men off to war and then <laughs> and half of them are yeah, killed, yeah. like society continues, right? And so in that mm-hmm. two tribes analogy, you see that like, okay, the tribe that is not protecting their women is going down in flames, right? So that's probably why we have this moral of protecting women over men and men risk their lives to save women, right? Um, the same thing with children. If like children are being sacrificed to protect the elderly, <laughs> That tribe is not going to do very yeah. well over the long term. So elderly people laid out their lives to protect children. I mean, that's just like, it's, it's not really a, is it, is it an arbitrary rel- It's not even, it's just a sort of a fundamental truth of reality, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if you do this, you will succeed. If you do this other thing, you will perish, right? It's like, imagine a tribe that had no moral against murder versus one that did, right? Mm-hmm. this tribe was having all these vengeful feuds people murdering each other back and forth with no repercussions uh, no social repercussions this other tribe is catching murderers and and punishing them and everyone knows you'll be punished if you murder well the tribe that's murdering each other is going down in flames right <laughs> sure i mean it's just no it's it's not it's not yeah. relative it's just it's like i'm a game designer right so like it's like, you know, is, is, should you protect your king in the game of chess? Is that an arbitrary thing? <laughs> no. It's just built into the fabric of reality of the game, right? Like, if you do not protect right. your king and you put him out front, you will lose the game. <laughs> like, there's no, yeah. it's not just like an arbitrary thing. Like, so you're just playing the game. You're just trying to play the game as best you can. Yeah. And so, you know, um, I think a lot, almost all moral principles, the ones that have stood the test of time, um, have some basis in reality, right? In like what actually works, right? These are rules to live yeah. by because societies that live by them live <laughs> and societies that don't right. live by them perish. Like, you know, it's like washing your hands after using the bathroom or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it reduces the spread of disease. It seems. So if you see somebody in the bathroom, who's not washing their hands, you might even give them a dirty look, right? Dude, you really? I just heard you. I just heard you in that stall. You better wash those hands, buddy. Yeah. I had to have that talk wow. with Chris once. Um, uh, yep. Chris only washes his right hand. Pee on it, so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I don't know. So I guess I feel like um, maybe I didn't understand it even necessarily until I made this game, but. Um, Oh, interesting. Not in the way that I understand it now or in thinking about making this game and like kind of coming up with these like 
you know, I don't know. Like, there's no difference between men and women in the game except that one uh, one can have babies and the other one can't, right? There's no strength difference yeah. or any of the other differences we normally associate with the sexes. And I, I was just like, Let, let's put that out there as the most primal, primary difference between men and women and see if, you know, some gender roles emerge inside the game with just that difference in place, right? And they have, right? Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, um, so it's kind so, of a, your game is something of a social experiment for sure, which is interesting. Right. Yeah. So anyway, in the real world, I don't know. I don't think, um, I don't think our morality uh, was 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 handed down from some um, from some absolute source, right? Like I I, I think um, that we can we can we can obtain it by sort of studying reality, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and for the most part, I mean, there's some things that are that aren't the the, right. the, one, the the morals that are in question are the ones that there is no logical argument behind, right? Um, right. Like, but it's still like whether think- masturbation is okay or not it's really hard to find a reason in the world one way or the other for that. And so you have this arbitrary thing that some people believe and some people don't. There's very few people running around saying that, you know, murder is actually okay. We just, <laughs> you just are, you know, it's, it's like the, the, the big ones we all kind of agree on all around the world and all different cultures. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so, which is interesting. Like that's an argument that lots of people have made. Um, like I think Thomas Aquinas kind of made that argument that as a, as a evidence potentially for God of like that being programmed into to human beings. Like there's almost no culture in where it's like, Oh yeah, sure. You can just like kill that your neighbor and take his stuff. It's not a big deal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whereas you're saying kind of the opposite, which is in- interesting to me that it's evidence. Uh, yeah. That it's evidence that it's just obvious on its face and that it was sort of, sh- right. it, it shaked itself out that way just over, many you know I, I don't know i guess this is also an evolution versus creation question right because we could talk about why the you know the leopard has his spots <laughs> and try and make some kind of convoluted ev- evolutionary argument or we can make some sort of creation kind of argument for it yeah. um and the same is true for why cultures have these moralities i'm i'm saying that over you know if you if you let enough time pass people sort of figure these things out and and stop doing the things that destroy their societies and start doing the things that right. preserve their yeah. societies. Um, yeah, and, uh, and I don't know that we're doing so uh, good though because like smartphones, you know, <laughs> like they're basically ruining yeah, well, us all. Well, well, yeah. So when something like that comes along and it kind of routes around any of the established, we we don't know what to say about st- smartphones, right? Like we're like, huh? Well, yeah. uh, I guess there's nothing technically immoral about or wrong, you know, that technically destructive about them and not inherently. So I guess they're okay. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I do think there's like, there's this, I mean, and we're kind of out of time, but uh, cause we've talked a long time and I, I want to let you go and get some rest or do some work, whatever you need to do this Friday. But, um, you know, we've sort of talked about how our morality develops, but, haven't also talked about the human problem of like, um, I just, I mean, take cell phones, for instance, like I do, part of me worries that, yeah, research may come out that says that we're all getting cancer because our cell phones were on them all the time. Um, and also we're terrible at building relationships with each other because of our phones. I mean, some of that research has already come out about mm-hmm. like the, like how they hinder, how they cause us anxiety anyway. Um, but, but then we're so tied to them by that, by the point that all this research comes out that it's too late. That's too late. You know? right. Well, I mean, just, right. just, just for the record, I don't God have a cell you. phone. 
I'm one of the only people I know who doesn't. Uh, so you're ahead, of, yeah, you're ahead of the game. Yeah. So um, I have a landline telephone here with a cord that works just great if I actually need to talk to somebody. Um, but I don't. I do not yeah. carry the internet or a texting device in my pocket, and I'm not reachable when I'm out on a walk. Uh, but uh, I, I would say that you can you can maybe carry out the two tribes thought experiment <laughs> with the cell phones. Uh-huh. And and if it is true that the tribe with the cell phones is going down in flames, eventually people will learn. I mean, they're not people are are not idiots, right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't think it's quite there yet. And and so I, gotcha. I don't know about yeah, the yeah. cancer thing. I, I mean, you know, a low low energy uh, radio waves probably don't cause cancer, at least not directly, as far as I can. I was tell. just making that up. No, I know, like, I know, um, I know. But people thought yeah. that would be the case. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and you know, definitely. Okay, maybe they cause depression or teen suicide and anxiety and insomnia because they're putting blue light in your eyes. Everyone looks at their phones mm-hmm. for like an hour right before going to bed, right? <laughs> like laying in bed. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, as these problems continue to mount, you know, maybe uh, there is a little bit of backlash to cell phone culture. Um, you know, uh, some, some of the younger kids I know still like cherish their flip phones and like try to, they spend like $200 trying to buy a new flip phone <laughs> because they're not being sold anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a market there. There are cell phone free parties. Sometimes there are, so maybe at some point people are going to be like, you know, like, like, for example, a lot of people I know don't have television yeah. in the traditional sense. They don't have a cable TV bill. Um, and a lot of people I knew started doing that like 10 years ago. Right. It was kind of like, you don't really need TV. Like who wants to watch all those shows? Like it's not really, it's a waste of time. And so, yeah, you know, uh, so, so people do, there are backlashes, right? There's right. Um, I met a lot, I've met a lot of people now who grew up without television. <laughs> like, wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so people kind of like, you know, re- react over time if something is harmful enough. Um, right. Which I think TV yeah, probably and I suppose, And I suppose, I guess I'm, I'm reacting a little bit against what you're saying in the sense of like, um, just, I feel like my Christianity, as it were, is a big motivator in me trying to make a positive impact on the people around me and the world around me, you know? Um, it's and the, it's I, the only and I, thing so, between you and murder. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, definitely not. But, but I do think about morality in that sense of like, um, of like, look, like looking to God to help me be more generous and be not, I don't just mean like not murdering people. Obviously Mostly. I don't really struggle with that. Um, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Just wait till I spend some more time with my smartphone and we'll see. And then get back to me. But, uh, yeah. So, so, and to me, I feel like, and I've sort of been told in the church, like that's part of like looking to God for help to, to be a better person, to be more generous, to be kinder, to be more patient. Um, is there, is there, is like a really important part of the human project? Right. Uh, yeah, and I and I get the sense that you probably share some of those those values. I guess and I didn't ask my question well earlier, and so I was wondering, like, so for you, I guess it's just you want you want to be good to the people around you uh, because that'll help uh, them in the long run. That'll help in, in a weird in a you know in a long series of events that'll help the world be a better place. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the question is why? <laughs> yeah. 
Right. And I guess which maybe we don't have an answer to. Yeah, but. I mean, God is the you know the uh, unmoved mover and the uncaused cause, right? You don't need to ask why there. <laughs> that's the that's the value. <laughs> right. So um, yeah, I don't think there is a good answer to why uh, why keep civilization moving forward. Why worry about future generations why you know uh why does any of this matter if it's all doomed to be swallowed in a red giant anyway or you know doomed to be swallowed in a religiously themed apocalypse <laughs> of, sure. of a bloody moon and and locusts <laughs> and and uh, whatever right yeah um yeah so I, I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't think there's, I don't have the answer to that question. And that may be the point at which you'd start calling something faith, right? Like you just, mm-hmm. you, when you get to the bottom of the why questions and you run out of questions to ask or, you know, yeah, I mean, there's the, the famous bit of Louis CK bit about, you know, his little three, uh, four year old mm-hmm. daughter asking the why question, playing the why game. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, why is the sky blue? Uh, you know, and then you go on down to say, but why, yeah. but why, but and it keeps going until it's like, <laughs> eat your damn cereal. Right. Yeah. Finally, you, get, yeah, to, you yeah. get to the point where you just don't know. Right. And, and, uh, yeah. and so which brings me to the point in this podcast where I <laughs> want you to know that we sent several letters from, uh, your friends and family. Um, you'll find them in your mailbox and uh, you have one hour to read them, but you don't have a watch to figure out if you can yeah. pass the hour. And then we want to talk to you about uh, how you feel about that. All right, we'll do that in the next part. Yes, excellent. No, I'm I'll be, I'll be, I'll be, I'll, I'll be sobbing, <laughs> and we'll have you right where we want you. He'll be the you guy. Send me some pamphlets afterwards. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. We haven't developed them yet, but hopefully soon. Um, but no, I'm kidding. Uh, but it was great having you on, Jason. Um, we've taken a lot of your time, so I want to I want to bring this to a close. But uh, but it was great having you on. And uh, people can find your game on your newest game, One Hour Life at onehourlife.com. Well, yeah, one correct? hour, one life, all spelled out. No, that's right. W- one hour, one, one life. Yeah, one hour, one life. O N E. And so yeah, it's been it's been great being on with you guys a uh, great conversation today yeah and where else can people find you on the internet anywhere um, else you would you would point people? yeah so if they do just a google search for my name j-a-s-o-n-r-o-h-r-e-r you'll find all sorts of stuff including my homepage and whatever else you want to find and i just noticed today you can still play download and play um passage which we talked about earlier for free so if people want like a quick look into something that you did in the past uh that's an easy one to go check out um but then uh uh but yeah definitely go check out one hour one life and um and you can check out jason's other games by searching for them um and you can follow me on twitter i'm drew dixon 82 chris has a twitter account that he doesn't use so we won't mention it Um, if you want to check out what's going on with love thy nerd search for love thy nerd on facebook and join our uh closed facebook group we're happy to to let you in um but uh just as long as you're not a bot as long as you're not a robot pretty much we'll let you in um go check out our other podcast it's called free play it's really fun it's a lot lighter weight i think less heavy than this which would be a good uh probably uh good time for you after listening to some of our heavier conversations on here yeah yeah put it that way and those guys are fantastic they do a great job uh and that's it for us thanks for listening to humans of gaming
And that is going to do it for our LTN Rewind. Again, that was Humans of Gaming episode 107 from May 7th, 2018. It was a good one, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. It was a fun flashback. We will be back again next Monday with another Rewind. Join us then. And remember, Jesus loves you, nerd.